Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Colin Santafe. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. First Kings 17. And so, if you don't know the kind of context of this, back in the day, ancient Israel, there was prophets who God would assign with different tasks, different messages to usually give to kings or to prophesy about nations or about what God wanted to do in the future. And this was one such prophet, Elijah, and he was a powerful prophet. God did incredible things through this guy, like to the point where um, he like literally said, look, it's not gonna rain for years until I say it's gonna rain. So he steps out audaciously in faith and, and God kind of takes him on this word and there's no rain in all of Israel. And Elijah is taken care of in these incredibly miraculous ways. He's by this river called Kareth. God starts to send food to him from crows. Like it's a pretty miraculous story. But then at this point in the story, this is what it says in 1 Kings 17. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, this being Elijah, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, there was a widow there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little bit of water in a vessel that I might drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as, long, as, as surely as God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Welcome to the new year. This sounds great. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as I have said, but first make me some cake from it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. This is a very selfless individual. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you that your presence is already here. And so I just pray that you would speak to each and every single heart today, that we'd be a little bit closer to you, a little bit more confident in you in Jesus name. And everybody said, Amen. Amazing. So uh, again, like I don't know about you, but I'm thinking a lot at this time of the year about my priorities. Uh, I'm thinking through them. Who do I want to be? I think about, I was talking to my friend Steve, and, and we were just talking about the idea that uh, at, before this decade, we had no children, no jobs, no wife, and now coming into this decade, a whole lot of stuff has changed in 10 years. And maybe for you, well done, thank you. Um, but this is the thing, I think it's hard sometimes to keep our priorities. Like I think about health priorities. And at the beginning of the year, I'm like fired up, like watching a Netflix docu-series. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm ready to make a difference. And then by the end of the year, I'm feeling that low, like two hours after a Netflix docu-series where you're like, nah, I actually can't change the world. Like that's what kind of how I feel when it comes to priorities or like parenting you you start the year off with a whole bunch of like lofty goals and then the smallest things trip you up like your kid comes to you with like a dirty diaper and you're like hey babe can you watch the kids I gotta go upstairs like kind of just like shooing them off maybe even for you it's trying to be the best that you can be at being a Christian like man I'm just gonna like use Jesus name and on the 417 you're using it for sure and with different applications but I know for me, it's like, it's hard. It's hard to keep your priorities straight. It's hard to know what to do, what to do first, what comes first. And I think there's a lot of floating around in this kind of, this kind of time of year. 
about asking ourselves, like, what has my life meant? Who am I going to be? What did the last decade mean? And what's the next decade to come going to mean for me? And, and on top of this, we live in a society too where we actually get a window into everybody else asking that question as well. We kind of see like the yearly perennial, like, you know, on Instagram, all of the things that I learned, all of the things that I did, all of the pursuits that I, that I did. And there's nothing wrong with doing any of that or celebrating any of that. But I think it can be hard when we look at all of this around us, when we look at all of the people around us, all of the dreams swirling around, all of the priorities about what does life mean for my work, for my career, for my family, for my friends, for my faith. How do we find priorities when it seems like everything ought to be a priority? And when I read the beginning of this story, for me it's in the same category as country music, offensive and unnecessary. Like if we, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but picture, but picture this story. Like think about it, if we ended the story here, it is actually really offensive. Like Elijah comes onto the scene and, and this woman is going through the worst moment in her life. Like the absolute worst moment. This isn't just a bad day. This isn't just like she couldn't find peaches at Whole Foods. Like, there is a full-on drought. Nobody has anything. She's a widow, so she's already disadvantaged. And you can imagine the immensity and the hurt and the helplessness of this moment would be palpable. The person that she loves the most in the world, the person that she's here to provide for, she can't do it. And she's on her last leg going, I guess this is it. I guess this is our last meal. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And Elijah comes onto the scene and goes, man, hey, I, can you help me out? And she's like, look, I can't help you. Like, this is it for us. This isn't just a bad go. This is the end of the story. And he goes, hey, you know what? That's... That's great, but do you think you can make me some food first? I don't know about you, but I find that deeply offensive. Yeah. And I have to make some rational conclusions about Elijah if I only stop the story here, that either he's just crazy, he's completely unsympathetic of what's going on in this woman's life. Maybe he's completely egotistical and he's just going, man, I'm just the guy and, and you need to help me. Or maybe he's all of the above. But I think so often in our lives, when it comes to all of the priorities that are circling around, all of the things that we could do, all of the things that we should do, and think about this too, her priorities are laser focused as a parent in this moment. The only thing that I need to do is survive. The only thing that's on my mind is gathering this for our last meal. And Elijah goes, there's actually a better priority and it's me. And I think ultimately, that's what God is saying as well. There's a better priority in your life, and it involves me. And if we end the story here, though, that's a hard pill to swallow. Well, wait a second, God. I mean, look at all the things that I faced off with in the last decade. Look at all the things I faced off with in the last year. Forget the, the past, my present. I'm trying to just pay some bills. I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to have a conversation with my family without things blowing up. Welcome to Christmas. Like, I'm just trying to just do as much as I can. And I think so many people draw conclusions about God that either he's crazy He's unsympathetic of our situation, or maybe he's egotistical. 
And I think with all of the priorities swirling around, with all of us trying to grasp on how do I become a good dad? How do I become a good husband? How do I be good at my job? How do I keep my friendships intact? How do I keep my finance in order? All of these questions, God says, there's a better priority than all of those. And it involves me. And this is the thing, if the story ended there, which I think in a lot of our analysis of our lives, that's actually where the story ends. I'm strapped out, I can't do any more, God's asking for too much. But when we read the rest of this story, we actually see the character of God come through, and I think it can help us find priorities in our lives. So if we keep reading, it says in verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little bit of cake and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil won't be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. See, this part of the story changes everything. See, now when we read this story, we realize it's actually not a story about this lady feeding Elijah. It's not a story about what Elijah needed. And in fact, if we think that's what it is, I mean, just look chapters before Elijah was being fed by ravens miraculously coming, just coming through town, dropping off like meals for him, like it was a pretty good deal. But maybe this story wasn't about Elijah, but it was about when the, this lady put the man of God in front of her situation, actually everything came into place. In the same uh, argument that I'm going to make today is with all of the different demands, all the different priorities that we can have, the one priority that I think we can all attain and that we should all chase after is to say, I'm going to try to put God first in every area of my life and see that God orders my life in such a way that everything comes together. And this is what it says even in Matthew 6.33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the everything that we're trying to figure out will be added to us. Yeah. The NLT says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. God will give you everything we need. And this is where I think in a world of making resolutions, and again, I'm not like, there's nothing wrong with goal setting and resolutions. I'm not saying that. But what I do think is one of the greatest priorities we can have is just endeavoring to put God first in every area of our lives. Yeah. Endeavoring to put him first. And, and this is really what I think in a world where we're trying to change everything, putting God first uh, really does change everything. And so where we're trying to go, okay, I'm, I'm just going to try to juggle this and juggle that, I think a better question we can ask is how am I putting God first in this situation? So even think about so many of our goals. So many of our goals are geared towards ourselves. What am I going to achieve? How am I going to do better and all these things? But what if you started to inject God into those goals? And maybe um, it's prioritizing God in your tithes and offerings. And so you're serving a corporate purpose, but it's actually growing and providing something rich in you. You're learning to be generous in it. Maybe for you, it's going to be putting God first in your schedule. And all of a sudden, maybe when you start prioritizing your Bible reading and prayer and maybe serving, it's actually going to increase you in a way that you never thought possible. 
Maybe it's going to be um, before you judge your boss, it's going to be putting God first in your work and going, wait a second, just like it says in Colossians, I'm actually going to not work for my boss first. I'm going to work for God first. And I'm going to do a, a, a job that reflects and mirrors working for God. Maybe um, for you, it's, it's going to be rather than distancing yourself from your family, realizing that each and every person in your family or that hard relationship is actually made in God's image. And so if they're made in God's image, that means there's value that's attached to them, that there was a forgiveness that was afforded to them. And maybe it's going to be you practicing that grace saying, God, I need to bring you into this situation. And if you can forgive them, then maybe I can start down that road of forgiveness as well. And I think when we start to ask that question, how can I put God first in all of these priorities? And paradoxically, we start to find that everything in our priorities starts to fit into place. And so I get it. That is a harder list than maybe just a couple goals and resolutions. That's a harder thing. And I think that that's something that we'll endeavor to do our whole lives. But I think like just like the Bible says, this is the best starting place for our lives. And we can have an aversion to it because just like in this story, it can feel offensive with all of the different things taking our time or vying for our time and all of the good things that we ought to invest into to go, man, I need to put God in front of those things. Yeah, for some reason, I'm, you know, don't shoot the messenger. This is just what the Bible talks about is the best way to live our lives. And so I get it. Our reflex in times of scarcity is survival. Our reflex is to protect our things, to, to pull back on our things, to protect our talents, to protect our time, to protect our resource. But the Bible tells a different story is that actually in those times, when you give of yourself, when you give of what you have, that's actually when God can start to do an incredible work in you. And so I get that it's a rational response. It's just not a gospel response. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about this idea of putting God first. What actually comes with putting God first. Well, how do we actually do it? And so what I'm hoping is, is I'm gonna kind of make a point and I'm gonna ask a big question at the end. And maybe that's a question that you can take on and maybe, you know, I, I really would encourage you, especially in this time of year, yeah, is it an artificial kind of start point? Yeah, sure. But it's an incredible start point to really sit down, take some time this week or next week, whenever your schedule works and really sit down and go, hey God, like, how can I start to put you first in different areas of my life? What are my goals? What do some of these questions mean with some of my pursuits and what I'm trying to do? And so um, with the time that we have, I want to talk about this idea of putting God first. And so the first thing that I think we need to know is putting God first never happens at a good time. If you're taking notes, write that down. Putting God first never happens at a good time. The more that I've lived life, the more I've realized that at every single point, there's reasonable reasons not to change. And I've also realized that at every single point in my life, it is the hardest it's ever been, and it's the busiest it's ever been. But I think what we have is there's this weird kind of dichotomy where I think many of us would appreciate and kind of agree with that statement. But ultimately, in our minds, we're always thinking that there's going to be a time when it'll be easier to make a, a good decision. There will always be a time in the future where it will be easier to prioritize God, where it will be easier to start to put him first, where it will be easy to start to ask the hard questions going on in our hearts, where it will be easier to start to work through some of the wounds of the past, where it will be easier to find where our priorities really lie. And I remember even in high school, 
uh, you know, I started high school, and I remember I was, I was volunteering in a, in a youth program, like, like part of a youth, like, uh, youth group. And I came in, and I was just exasperated. I was like, man, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm in high school now, and this is just crazy. There's so much going on. And um, uh, Pastor Caleb is my youth pastor. He's like, okay, like, what do you got? I was like, man, I got like 30 minutes of homework. It's like, okay, why don't you just spend 30 minutes right now and do it? I was like, yeah, right, right. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. But then university kind of kicked around, and I was like, man, this is, this is now, this is, the real, this is the real deal. Like, I've got five courses, 15 hours of lectures. I'm doing homework. I'm doing assignments. You know, I, I'm like, I'm really doing that. Like, I, I can't do anything else. I'm working a shift at Tim Hortons. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm just trying to make, there's no way that I can do anything else right now in my life. And then all of a sudden, I started a career. And then I was working 40 hours a week. I was like, man, I don't even have two, you know, two weeks off at Christmas break. Like, I don't have summer anymore. Like, this is, this, this is the busiest. I know once I get through this, though, then I, it's going to be okay. Like, and then all of a sudden, I got married. And then I had kids. And then I had a family. And this is the thing. is life, if you're trying to become a big person, only gets bigger and only gets busier and only gets more complex. But for some reason, we tell ourselves but tomorrow I'll make a difference. And the greatest competitor for change, the greatest competitor of prioritizing God today is actually tomorrow. And even think about some of the New Year's resolutions that you have right now. You have literally told yourself, I'm gonna start that on Wednesday. You ever think about that? That's where hope lives. That's, but that's also where dreams die, in that tomorrow. And as long as I can stay three days out, not too far that it's impossible, but not too close that it's real, then I don't really have to change because I can fall in love with the idea of changing. And I wonder for you, maybe you need to just make some space in an awkward time in your life and just start to say, no, I'm making the decision to inject God into it. I'm just making the decision right now to inject God into my marriage, to inject God into those conversations with my family, to inject him into my finance, because I'm telling you right now, there will never be a better time than right now to make a change. And this is the thing, I know even for me sometimes, it's a battle to read my Bible. And I can kind of like start work and like you just want to jump into it. At least for me, I just want to jump into work. It's like I've got things to do. I've got problems to solve. I just need to start right now. But there's an incredible power in just stopping. There's an incredible power. And sometimes I've literally had to coax myself and, and be like, no, I have to stop this. Even if I'm not going to read a ton, I need to stop what I'm doing. I need to close the emails and go, okay, God's the priority right now. Because if I can't make him the priority in that moment, how am I going to make him the priority in my workplace? How am I going to make him the priority in all of the other things that I'm going to do? And I wonder for you, where are the places that you actually need to stop and go, okay, I'm feeling anxiety, I'm feeling stress, I'm feeling maybe the pressure to progress or advance or to change, but you actually need to take a step back and go, man, even this week you might be going, I've got so many things to do, I don't have time to go on some like retreat of reflection, like I, I don't have the time for it. Maybe you need to make the time for it and just go, okay, wait a second, I need to stop. And it's incredible when you start to stop that God starts to act. And so I wonder for you, and this is the question 
that I want to kind of frame this point with, that I want you to kind of go home and ask yourself, what's the reasonable reason that's been living too long? What's the reasonable reason that's been living too long in my life to really bring God into that area? And you might actually find that it's a hard answer. Maybe it's family. Not that family is a problem, but that you're using it as a scapegoat of really bringing God into the situation. Maybe it's finance. Maybe it's money. Maybe I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's the past. And you're going, actually, at the end of the day, I'm not really willing to get past that thing. I'm not really willing to talk about forgiveness. And so I wonder for you, what's the reasonable reason that's been living too long? And this is the thing, it's absolutely reasonable. I mean, for this lady who is in this situation that Elijah goes, hey, can you give me some stuff? Can you give me some food? Let's be honest. If we were defending her today, I don't think anybody would be like, no, it's the call of God in your life, just do it. I'm serious though. We would have all said, no, no, like, all good. Don't worry about it. Take your time. But this is where it's a hard, it's a hard teaching. And maybe this is the most inspirational thing. I don't know. I, I hope it's inspiring you. I'm not trying to like, like, like um, push anybody down. But I'm going, this is actually the process you have to go through internally to start to put God first. And it's a harder road than just having a couple goals. It's a harder goal than just kind of like believe in and achieve it. It's actually looking at what's going on in my heart and how am I inviting God into that situation and how am I looking at all of the reasons that I've used as a defense to change and start to say, actually, that's not good enough anymore. God, I'm ready to bring you into this situation. So I wonder, what are the reasonable reasons that have been living too long? This okay? Yeah, it's good. All right, three rows deep. Um, (laughs) All right, here's the next one. Putting God first grows your trust. So here's something you got to know about prioritizing God. It's going to grow your trust. I've noticed as I grow older that I'm getting better and better at creating sophisticated ways to explain away trusting in God. I find as I get older, as I get to know more things, I find more sophisticated ways to explain away trusting God. And I think that this makes sense because the more we grow, the more knowledge that we amass, the more our abilities, our wealth, all of these different things grow, the more we can do things on our own strength. But that's not actually the story of Christianity. And now, is there anything wrong with with learning more, having knowledge, having goals, having plans? Not at all. But my question is, is just, where is the trust factor still in your relationship with God? Where has there been a position where God has to come through? Think about this lady. She was in a position where either God came through or God came through. When was the last time that you were in a position like that where it was like, man, I need to trust God. I need to put myself in uncertainty. I need to put myself in a bit of fear and really actually put myself on the weight of God's words and go, I actually need to trust that what he says in the Bible and what he says his character is, is actually a character that's expressed and lived out and applied in my life. See, there's so many Christians who don't see anything miraculous in their lives because they've never put themselves in a position of trust. They've only put themselves in a position of knowledge. And this is the thing is you can know all of the facts about God, but you'll never experience the, the, the beauty of his character until you actually live in it. And yet so often I think we find different ways and clever ways to kind of just push away trust to the side. And I wonder with your goals this year, 
Where are their audacious faith goals? How are your goals attached to God needs to come through or he needs to come through? God needs to do something or else. Like, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. But when we put ourselves in that place, that's actually where we most clearly see the character of God. And when I look at anybody in the Bible who has done anything of significance, when I look at mentors in my life who have done anything of significance, the thing that always marks them isn't their ability or their skill or any of those things. It's actually the fact that these are people who actually take God at his word and say, no, 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 if he said it, then I'm going to believe for it. If he wrote it, then I'm going to actually stand on it. And this is the crazy thing is if we really think about this, if God's words frame the entire universe, then can't we assume that they can hold up our situation? If the entire framework of our universe was God's spoken word, can not the promises that he spoke in the Bible hold up your situation around your finances? Can they not hold up that situation in your marriage, that situation in your relationships? I really believe that one of the greatest things we need to do as believers is put ourselves in positions of trust and faith. So how is this year marked by trust? What in this year is marked by taking an audacious faith step in a culture that touts independence, how are you becoming more dependent? In a, in a culture that, that uh, touts freedom, how are you actually becoming more of a slave to righteousness, more of a slave to who God is? And so this is the thing. Maybe for you it's going to be looking at your career and maybe taking some trust steps. Maybe for you it's actually going to be stepping back from some of the rat race of your career and actually trusting that God is going to be in control of your progress. Maybe for you, it's going to be trusting and putting your heart out on a limb and going, man, I actually need to put my heart out to somebody and have the real conversation. And again, I'm only saying these as examples. I'm not saying them as like individually prescriptive things. You're going to know best what your face step is. Yeah. But I'm trying to start to get you to think about it, to go, this year, how can I do something bold and audacious that's going to take trust? Because the deeper thing than that is that's where you actually get to see and get to know the character of God. You know, I love what it says in Proverbs 16. It says, roll your works upon God that he may establish your plans. I don't think the team has it, but it says in Proverbs 16, roll your works upon God that he may establish your plans. Now this actually flies backwards in how many of us see this, this passage. See, what many of us would say is actually, commit your plans to God that he might establish your works. And yet the proverb says, no, no, commit your work to God that he might establish your plan. And that seems like a backwards thing. That seems like a paradox to me. Why would I commit my work to God and then my plan comes out of it? Because ultimately, when we start to put weight on God, when we start to just commit our works to God and say, I don't even know if this is right. I don't know if this is part of the plan. I don't know if this is going to get me in the right place. But I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to put weight on your words. I'm going to let my actions show a level of trust. Then all of a sudden, you start to see God's plan come to fruition. And so many people in the Bible didn't commit a plan and say, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. Moses didn't go up to God and say, look, I'm going to go through here go through the Red Sea, then we're going to stick around in the desert for a bit, then we're going to get into Israel. At every point, it was a face step of, God, I hope you come through. God, I need you right now. God, I need you right now. And we read the story with hindsight saying, what an incredible plan God had for Moses. 
I wonder what the incredible plan is that's waiting for your face step. Not the face step that's waiting for your plan. I don't know if that last part made sense. I'm thinking about it right now. But the first part made sense. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. What's a face step that actually is part of God's larger plan for you? And so this is the question that I want to ask that has to do with this point that I want you to take away. How is audacious faith and trust built into my pursuits this year? How is audacious faith and trust built into my pursuits this year? So for all the stuff of our lives that we're going to do, for the everything of our lives that we're going to do, how is faith and trust built into it? How is it built into the goals that you have this year? How is it built into the resolutions that you have this year? How is it built into the relationships that you want to cultivate, the strategies that you want to apply this year? Is there faith and trust linked to it? Because I think at the bottom of that is where we actually start to live a more full, God-focused life. Thirdly, I just got two more points. We're going to land the plane pretty soon. Um, putting God first requires sacrifice. Putting God first requires sacrifice. So I think sacrifice is probably one of the least popular words in our culture today. And it actually makes sense because think about even our messaging and marketing. It's always like get two for the price of one. We're always trying to make sure that we disadvantage ourselves as little as possible. You know, buy three, get one, get something quicker, get it faster, get it better. You know, two for one, spend the same and get more, get more for less. Like our society is actually architected in such a way to try to make sure that we don't disadvantage ourselves. Not only that, we have to think about our time in history is that we as a society don't actually understand the cost of anything. We don't know how our clothes were made. We largely don't know where they came from. We don't know how our food was made. We don't know where it came from. We don't know how our technology was made. We don't know where it came from. We have no idea of the people, the man hours, the cost, the processes that are involved in it. So think about that. If we as a society want to disadvantage ourselves as little as possible, we don't understand the cost of anything, like where anything really comes from, which is a new thing in history, then that's a really hard paradigm to talk about sacrifice in. Oh yeah, you should disadvantage yourself as much as you can. That's what Christianity teaches. But our whole world is set up in a way to cover costs, hide the cost of something, and then as well to make sure that we disadvantage ourselves as little as possible. And so then when we talk about this idea of sacrifice, it is a hard thing. It's a really hard thing to think about. It's a hard thing to talk about. But think about what Jesus says in Luke. He says, well, who builds anything without first counting the cost? See, we have a, a, a view of society where we see success um, when it's already done. And this is the thing. We don't see the process of a dream or the cost of a dream or the cost of success either. We just see a post that says, look at all these great things that I did. And so when you put all that together, how are we supposed to learn how to sacrifice when we only see the end point of success? We only see the end point of almost everything in our lives. And so it's a hard thing, but Jesus says, if we're supposed to do anything, if we're going to build anything of significance, a family, a company, a relationship, then you actually have to count the cost. And this is ultimately, my working definition of sacrifice today is just disadvantaging yourself. 
for somebody else's advantage. Disadvantaging yourself. And this is what I've come to see, is that our, in our culture, in our church, sacrifice has actually become generosity and margin. Sacrifice has actually become generosity and margin. I'll give what free time I have. I'll reprioritize things with the bit of money that I have that's free. Think about the Pharisees when Jesus saw the, the woman with the might. Those Pharisees were generous. They gave a lot of spices and all this different stuff, but they weren't sacrificial. It didn't disadvantage them. It didn't hurt them to give that. And yet for this lady in this story with Elijah, picture this lady, for her to give was actually to move up the date of her death. For her to give, it was actually not just disadvantaging her, but actually her whole family. And yet this is the profound truth in it, is that in doing that, the actual greatest blessing was for her and her family. And see, in a culture that tries to hide the costs, in a culture that tries to say, no, don't disadvantage yourself, the Christian paradigm actually says, no, love costs something. We ought to love and it ought to disadvantage us. And this is what I see is so many Christians going, I want the call of God on my life, but I don't want to spend anything except the margin that I have. I want to change. I want to have these conversations. I want to do it, but I only want to do it with the free time and money and resource and talent that I already have. And I'm just here to say that if that's part of your goal setting, then I'm not sure you're going to really walk into what God has for you. And this is where I see so many people do this, and they haven't truly counted the cost. But this is the beautiful thing in, in Christianity is that when you give like that, you actually are the greatest beneficiary. Because it ultimately is just a mirror of what Jesus already sacrificed, what Jesus already did. And so I see so many people going, man, I, I, I tried giving this year, but now it's really hard on my finances. Well, yeah, that's because you haven't actually given up anything in your lifestyle. So we're going, I want to give, I want to be generous, but I'm not willing to change my lifestyle. I want to have that conversation with that person, but I don't want to sacrifice my vulnerability. Man, I, I want to start to change and I want to get my health up, but I don't want to spend the money to actually start going to the gym and to really invest into something in a way that's going to start to change. And I wonder for you, have you fallen into the romance of generosity in the margins? Have you fallen into just this idea that actually I can find it all and I can change everything just in the margins, just in the free time that I have? just in the free resource that I have, just in the talent that's left over. This is the thing. Changing deeply takes everything. And I get that that's not a palatable thing to say these days, but it's the truth. It's actually putting your heart and putting your life on the line. But when you put your life down, that's actually when you find it. When you lose it all is when you actually save it. And I wonder today, <clears throat> with a new year and a new decade in front of us, where do you need to start to be sacrificial? This is my question today. Where can I generously disadvantage myself to bring life to someone else? How's that part of our planning? <laughs> where can I generously disadvantage myself to bring life to someone else? But that question will change your life. If 
you take that this year and apply it? Because the same thing about Jesus, when he laid everything down, that's actually where resurrection, redemption, hope, and love lived. And I wonder for you this year, where is your generous disadvantage going to bring resurrection, redemption, hope, and love this year in your life? Where can I generously disadvantage myself to bring life to someone else? Here's my last point, I'll land the plane on this. Putting God first shows we remember the source. So there's this passion, uh, passion. <laughs> there's this passage in Deuteronomy 26. And basically, this was a ritual that um, every Jew would do is when they were giving their first fruits of the year. So they would give their first fruits and they would recite this, this literary poem. And this is what it says. <clears throat> it says, when you've entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of and settled in, take some of the first fruits of all of your produce from the soil of your land, the Lord your God is giving to you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest um, in office at the time, this is what they would recite. I declare today to the Lord that your God, um, to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands, set it down in front of the altar to God, and you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering uh, Armenian, and he went down to Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, the Lord, have given me and then you'd place the basket before them. I think that's a beautiful passage, is that for every Israelite, at the beginning of a harvest, they would bring the first of what they had. Here's this idea again of the first, not all, but the first of what they had, put it before God, and what would they do? They'd say, I'm remembering, I'm choosing to remember where you brought me. I'm choosing to remember that before I could have had any advantage in this world, you actually gave me the greatest advantage. I'm choosing to remember today that once I was a slave and now I'm free. Once my people were oppressed and now they're blessed. Once, once I, was a, 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 I served a king who was a tyrant, now I serve a father. And I think one of the greatest things that we can do is when we put God first, we're actually choosing to remember the source. We're remembering that, wait a second, before I could do anything and write my name on it and say it was me, that actually there was a God who made a way where there was no way. There was a God who did something that I couldn't do. And actually, I'm only living. Every good thing is just an inheritance of grace and favor because of what Jesus did. And when we start to put God first, I think this is the thing through audacious sacrifice, through remembering where our source comes from, from building a life of faith and trust, from doing it even if it's not the right time and there's reasonable reasons, I think that this set of questions can separate us and separate a year, separate a decade. And if we committed to these questions, it almost wouldn't matter what happened to us, 
because there'd be so much beautiful things happening in us. So where do I need to be reminded that I'm not the source? That's the last question. Where do I need to be reminded that I'm not the source? Your success is not your own. The things you've been graced with are not your own, but it's actually a God who's working in you so you can work through others and for others. And the Israelites knew this to the point that they had built it into tradition and law at a point in the year to always look back and go, wait a second, before we can even say anything about our success, anything about our year, that's where we came from. And as Christians, we do the same thing. We go, that's where we came from. There was no reason for God to look at our sin and bring down a savior and a substitute for it, but he did. That's our starting point as Christians. So concluding, I think putting God first is the hardest thing um, that we'll do. Because in it, you have to face who you really are, what you really want, and also you need to put weight on the character of God. But when we put God above everything, everything truly does come together. And with all of these priorities, pursuits, dreams, goals, vision of the future, I hope that the one thing, there was one thing we could distill down is that we would endeavor this year to put God first. Imperfectly, yes, but to try to put God first. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, there's a more profound truth to this whole subject is that God actually modeled this first to us. Is that before we could do anything, before we could bring anything to God, before we could show God how great we are or to show God how big of a train wreck our lives are. You know, Jesus uses the imagery in the Bible of this shepherd leaving 99 to find the one. And before we can even prioritize God in our lives, we need to realize that God in his infiniteness, in his supremeness, actually prioritized us. And this isn't something that hasn't already been modeled to us. And that's the beauty of our faith is that before you could do anything, God did everything. And that's actually when we find that truth, when we hold on to that truth, that he would leave everything for just one of us, that you are his priority, you're the apple of his eyes, you're the pursuit of his heart, you're the love that he has, then man, that can give us the ability to recklessly and generously and audaciously love the people in and through our world. With every head bowed, every eye We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.